Nicole, you love Mother Earth, right? I obviously love Mother Earth. So obviously you would do anything to help cut down on plastic pollution, especially ocean plastic pollution. Oh, 100%. Well, if you are still using a plastic toothbrush, you're contributing to the shocking statistic that over 1 billion plastic-based toothbrushes are thrown away every single year in the United States alone. That's absolutely true. It accounts for 50 million pounds of waste added to landfills, which is why I switched to Juni Essentials Bamboo Toothbrushes. Yes, dude. Made by dentists, designed by engineers, Juni Essential Bamboo Toothbrushes are not only sustainable, but also quality and extremely ergonomic. They use heat pressing technology for a super smooth finished handle. That means no splintering. So obviously you already know that you can order the eco-friendly and aesthetically pleasing Juni Essentials Bamboo Toothbrushes at juniessentials.com. Juni is a toothbrush made for you and the earth because making a change for you and the earth doesn't have to be so difficult. Quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the gathering of the cult of Quite Unusual. Mm. We are your supreme leaders. I am Mother Noelle. And I am Mother Nicole. All right, just kidding. But <laughs> how fucking sick would that be, dude? Like, all velvet robes, matching, ooh, matching gold amulets. Mm, yes. And, okay, I'm just going to say it. Black Nike decades with a white swoosh. Ooh, baby, my palms are getting sweaty just thinking about it. Okay, I'm all for the velvet robes and gold amulets. But yeah, dude. I don't know if I can get behind the Nike decades. What? Uh, they're just not my style. I'll go instead with classic old school Vans. Oh, hell yeah. Because I actually just bought myself a pair because I've been listening to a lot of old emo music from my past and it just sparked something inside of me that said be one with your emo self and buy yourself some vans so i did i are you gonna wear them to the black parade are you going to wear your vans hell fucking yeah i'm wearing to the black parade fuck yeah dude uh emo music fuck yeah Mm. vans double fuck yes and actually our super good friend and listener sabrina just told me that you can customize vans what yeah, like any way you want. So I went on the website, Avi, and you can totally customize them. So we should make some QU vans. You can get like a QU logo van. Yeah, like we should get like purple what? vans with like the QU logo. Yes. Dude, so fucking sick. Yes. This is just turning into a vans ad. Yeah. But it's not. But we're not getting paid for it. So let's stop talking about it. But we are trying to hold on to our youth. We are. We're 30. <laughs> no, mm. we are 30. Mm. Let's chat about something really, really quick that every single person in this country and probably their moms, but only if they're like cool moms, not regular moms, (laughs) are talking about Diet Law of Pass incident. Mm. We're still talking about it and how they supposedly solved it with fucking Elsa and her talking (laughs) snowman or whatever. I'm over it. I don't care about that. But what I want to talk about is something rooted in reality. More people have gone missing. Yeah, what is it about this case? And I, because I feel like we've done it, and then all of a sudden, all of these new articles are coming out. But yeah. I mean, it's super messed up because a group of people took a trip 
to pay tribute mm-hmm. to the original Dialoff crew recently, earlier this month, right? Yeah. Earlier, early February. And now they're all missing, exactly like the Dialoff crew. So I only found two articles that brought it up. Mm-hmm. So I have a quote from a very reputable source, newsweek.com, oh. that I'd like to read. Okay. Eight tourists from Moscow who ventured into the Dyatlov Pass in the Ural region had not returned by Wednesday morning. This was two Wednesdays ago. Yeah. As expected. A local resident told reporters. The source said they were supposed to leave at 8 o'clock in the morning, but they have not returned yet and there is no contact with them. So that article was posted on the 10th of February, and as of right now, that we're recording this right now on the 20th, mm-hmm. these people have not been found, and I cannot find a fucking update. There, yeah, there have not been any updates I was looking to. It's actually pretty insane because the trek isn't even considered as dangerous as it was back then. I mean, obviously, you're still, you're still out in the Russian wilderness, but... There have been many advancements since 1959. So I don't understand, like, did they not bring a satellite phone or I don't know. Yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, did they not? I don't really get it. There's no GPS or something to signal with. I don't know. I've never been trekking in the Russian wilderness, so I can't really be a very good source for this i don't know we i mean we'll keep you updated beautiful listeners yeah if we have more information but i'm just gonna fucking say this right now mm-hmm. okay just putting this out there because we put diet love into the ethos we did and she fucking came back to us we did for sure right it's what it seems like right it absolutely does yeah so these people are missing hopefully they'll come back but i'm just gonna guess that we're never gonna get an update because mm. something strange is afoot at the Circle Kremlin. Nice. Thank you. Solid quote. Thank you so much. Solid quote. All right. Enough dialogue. I'm over it. We're done. Unless we get an update, we're not bringing it up again. Yeah. But today, we are going to embark on part due mm. of the Jonestown series. Yes. Two Jones, two towns. Jones hard with a vengeance? <laughs> are, we, are we doing this? We're doing it. Jonestown 2, Electric Culturoo. Live free or Jones hard. <laughs> a good day to Jonestown? I don't um, have any more. It's okay. I'll stop. I mean, I think I've already gone through all of the diehard references you de- I can. You definitely won. But no, like, never, ever stop. Never stopping. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you come up with for part three. Oh, shit. But I feel like we should just name it Jonestown 3, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Jonestown Drift. <laughs> we have to. We it's, should just. It's the best sequel. Commit, right? Yeah, it's what's got to be. Let's do a little recap before we get into a part two. Last episode, we talked about sweet little baby Jimma Jones and his weirdo parents. Yep. He was raised in a small town in Indiana, so Midwest represent. Yep. He Ooh. was obsessed with church, but like. Not because he was super into God. He just wanted respect and to have control like the preachers did. Well, yeah. I mean, the costumes. Yeah, he loved Hitler. Not a Nazi. But he loved the style and the pageantry. Duh. He's very big into pushing puppies down trap doors. Again with the puppy. I'm sorry. You just had to bring it up again, didn't you? Yeah. I'm not not going to say it. Mm, you I should. 
not say it though well never stop never stopping is my new (laughs) quote for the day he was also very very controlling as a child and he was very obsessed with death and funerals um Mm -hmm. remember we talked about how he used to make kids lay down in coffins yeah and then also Mm -hmm. attend weird roadkill funerals at school recess yeah so so good not great not great no. no He definitely won Indiana's number one Spider Monkey Salesman Award for the year. Actually, hold on, let me check here. Oh, yeah, two years in a row. Right, right. It was 1956 and 57. Yeah, Mm -hmm. unbeaten, unbeatable. He manipulated a very, very nice God-fearing woman into marrying him. And then he told her that she was an idiot for believing in God. Loved socialism, surprisingly did a lot of like help for underprivileged communities was very supportive did a lot of good somehow yeah also the worst person worst guy i don't get it i don't either he started the coolest church ever community unity gotta rhyme unity community i don't even remember either or it doesn't matter it's the same it's the same thing yeah Yeah. church de worst is what it was called (laughs) and he started this in a predominantly black community which was sort of a pillar of goodness there for a long time. And then shit got culty. He instituted religious communalism, so all of his followers had to just kind of, like, give him all of their shit. Oh, yeah, totally. And then he told everyone that a nuclear holocaust was going to happen and scared everyone into joining him on his trek to California, which is where we left off. All right, let's get into Sweet Baby Jimba, The Ugly Eskimo Jones, mm. Part de Adieu. Adieu. All right, before we get into the big move to California, I want to dive a bit more into Jim and his family life, or should I say his rainbow family life. Wow. In episode one, I mentioned that Jim and Marceline had a child named Stephen, spelled like Stefan with an A, but pronounced steven totally threw me absolutely threw me too and actually after we recorded it and i edited the episode i had this anxiety attack that i had to pronounce his name wrong and then i went through all of these wild youtube videos trying to figure out and it's actually pronounced steven so yeah well you nailed it and i once again very confidently (laughs) told you that your pronunciation was completely wrong which i do not know why i do and it's possibly my like my worst trait. No, it's to have a worse trait than that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's not what I mean at all. I'm just, I'm saying it's not bad because neither of us really know how to pronounce anything. So no, I appreciated I appreciated the correction. I well actually do, and I was wrong. <laughs> well actually, let me put on the fedora of shame, and we shall continue. The fedora of shame. Okay, mm-hmm. she's has, wearing it. It has pinstripes. She's wearing it. It's got to. Got to. So Stephen Gandhi Jones, which was his full name, naturally, was the only biological child of Jim and Marceline's, but the pair actually adopted a lot of children. And it all started in 1952 when Jim tried to adopt Marceline's 11-year-old cousin named Ronnie. This was actually before the birth of his biological son, which happened in 1959, And Jim thought that he could raise Ronnie better than his parents, so he started to put lies in the kid's head, basically just telling him that his parents didn't love him, that he shouldn't go back, and that he should just stay with them. But Ronnie, who was, I repeat, only 11 years old, Mm -hmm. saw through Jim and his shit and was just like, no, 
you're weird bye yeah dude what a fucked up thing to say right i mean even an 11 year old sees it which yeah like, i can raise you better than your birth parents trust me i'm jimba jones <laughs> number one spider monkey salesman two years in a row indianapolis here's my card thanks so much 56 57 anyways <laughs> Then, in 1954, Jim and Marceline adopted a 10-year-old girl named Agnes, and Agnes was part Native American. But there isn't a lot of info about Agnes. She just really wasn't a big part of the whole thing. She was kind of just there the whole time. The couple also adopted three Korean American children named Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne in 1959. Jones actually encouraged his members to adopt orphans from Korea during this time because the Korean War, it was right after the Korean War, and Jones was actually very critical of the U.S. involvement. Yeah. So he was all for adopting orphans from Korea because of that. This is giving me very big Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie vibes. I think adoption is amazing. I do. Yeah. It's It's a gift and... Mm-hmm. If you have the opportunity, I'm more than supportive. 100%. But he called it the Rainbow Family. Yeah, almost as if he was, like, trying to prove something. He's, like, trying to collect, like, one. It's, like, they're not fucking Pokemon, dude. They're children. (laughs) Yes. Okay? You don't got to catch them all. Nope. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It it, It bothers me. Kind of felt like he was overcompensating. It's like he's doing, again, a good thing, but for a fucked up reason. To make it seem like he's a good person. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then in 1961, Jim and Marceline became the very first white couple to adopt a black child, and they named him Jim Jones Jr. Got to. <laughs> the couple also adopted a white child named Timothy Glenn Tupper, and it's kind of weird because his mother and father had separated, and Tim's mom was actually a member of the People's Temple. I could not find out why Jim and Marceline decided to adopt him because his biological mother was there with him in the People's Temple. Well, we'll talk about a little bit later that Jim Jones has a real problem collecting children. That's very true. But, I mean, the only thing I could really find is that Jim and Tim were very close, and Jim was like, a father to him, so maybe that's why. Oh, maybe, yeah. So this made up Jim and Marceline's rainbow family, and they called it that because they had children of all different colors, from all different backgrounds, and it's actually sort of beautiful if the patriarch of the family wasn't Jim Jones. Right, like if he did it for, like, good reasons to, like, save these children, but instead he's like, all right, we got a Korean, cool, we got a Native American, check, uh, we're going to need, um, we need an El Salvadorian. What are you, white? What kind of white? <laughs> Not too white. Move along. You know, it was like he was right. trying to purposefully collect yeah. children yeah, totally. to prove in a way that he was not racist or something. Well, to prove that he was the guy that he said he was, I think. Yeah, but these are children. And then, obviously, things don't end well, so. Yeah, we all know that. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> We also talked about Jim's trip to Brazil and his scouting efforts for a place to bring the temple so they could survive a nuclear blast that Jim said was for sure going to happen. Mm. Because, you know. Doomsday. Mm -hmm. And actually, while on this trip to Brazil, 
Jim did visit Guyana, which is where Jonestown will eventually make camp, but but he didn't initially settle there. Jim liked Guyana, but Guyana was a freshly socialist country, and Jim just felt like it was too new of a concept and that the country just sort of needed time and I guess practice on socialism. I don't know. So he passed. Yeah, it had that new now. socialist smell. Mm. And you know what? You want to wait till it's pre-owned. You want to wait till it smells <laughs> like cigarettes were smoked in there. And then it right. was covered by some sort of orange spray that's supposed to remove cigarettes. Got some miles on it, you know? That's a good socialist country. Yeah. Yeah. While in Brazil, Jim also claimed that he was propositioned by a diplomat's wife. Scare quotes there. Who approached him for sex. <laughs> and according to Jim... She told him she would donate $5,000 to the local orphanage if he banged her. Okay, I got some problems with those. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with this one. Jim claims at first he refused. Oh, well, duh. Just straight up refused. How could he? But then, for the good of humanity and for the orphans, mm. or I guess whatever, Jim put on his big boy panties and he banged this woman for the orphanage. Yeah. When he orgasmed, he yelled, this one's for the orphans. <laughs> and then he cried himself to sleep. Yeah. After pissing over the roof. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, we have gotten so many message of, messages of people being like, it worked. Tried to piss over the roof. No. Didn't work. Okay. My girlfriend's super pissed. <laughs> Did they just piss all over the house instead, as I'm assuming how that yeah, went? Yeah, because it's not a thing you can do. <laughs> it's not a thing that you can physically no, do. it's not. No. It's not. One of our listeners was like, I could probably hit the TV if I laid on the couch. And I was like, please stop, <laughs> sir. I regret saying it. You're going to ruin your TV. Yeah, man. It's not oh. waterproof. Come on. Uh, which I think this story of the diplomat's wife, we yeah. all know that's a lie, right? What? No. I mean. doesn't make sense. If you could choose between sleeping with a middle-aged man from Indiana who oh, no. looks like an Eskimo but ugly. Okay, definitely not. Or just, like, anyone from Brazil, who would you choose? Dude, have you seen people from Brazil? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you're, like, an eight or under on the hotness scale, mm. they make you leave. Yeah. Brazil is the hottest country ever. Yeah. And this woman came up and was like, hola, Yimi, you are too sexy. And then she was like, see las orphans over there? I will give them $5,000 American if you just bang my fucking brains out, boy. And he was like, no, no, lady. But then he did bang her anyways. For the orphans. He did it for the orphans. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. If a diplomat's wife came up to you and was mm -hmm. like, I will pay this orphanage $5,000 if you bang me right now. Yes or no? Yes. For the orphans? For the orphans. You guys, it's basically a charity at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's for the orphans? It's for the orphans. It's for the fucking orphans. Take one for the orphans. I would do it for the orcas or the orphans. Yeah. $5,000. Orphaned orcas, $10,000. I'll put it, I'll match whatever your donation is. Let's do this. <laughs> the Orphaned Orca Foundation. <laughs> All right, I'm derailing this. I'm so sorry. It's fine. So we know Jim was gone from his people in Indiana for quite some time. 
banging diplomat's wife's <laughs> for orphans, I guess. Who knows? He actually spent two years in Brazil trying to convert people to his church and also banging people for money. So fun <laughs> fact, actually, is that the reason that Jim came back to the United States from his little escapade to Brazil was because of the JFK assassination. Really? Mm-hmm. Because... Obviously, this was huge news in America. I mean, the president of the United States had just been murdered in front of a lot of people. Never heard of it. And Jim felt like he needed to be home for the sake of his people. Oh, that's so nice. So it kind of makes me wonder, though, if JFK was never assassinated, would Jim have stayed in Brazil? Would <gasps> Jonestown have ever happened then? Oh. I feel like that might be a whole different timeline, you know, but we'll never know because in the timeline we are in, JFK was assassinated, so. I love what you're doing in this timeline talk. Do you? Very into yeah, it. Yeah. It's pretty great, right? When Jim comes back from Brazil, no one in the community really needs him anymore. So everyone in Indiana is just like, okay, cool, you're back. No one really cares. Before he left, if you remember, he was sort of a savior he provided help to all who needed it. And when he left, people just sort of stepped up to the plate and took his place. That's good in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was good, but not for Jim because it sort of pissed him off because remember, like, that was his thing. He preyed on people who needed him. And when he left, everyone was sort of just like, we don't really need you anymore. We can do this on our own. Right, like a savior complex almost? Yeah, exactly, actually. Jim then switches his tune up a little bit, and instead of preaching about God and Jesus, he goes hard on socialism, and he adopts the theology that he is God. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming. And obviously, this didn't fit in well with small-town Indiana. So Jim had a 15-minute radio show, which was canceled because of his wild preachings about socialism. I'm sorry, 15 minutes? Yeah. He had a mini podcast? A mini pod? Yeah. Podcast before podcasts were a thing. Nice. Yeah. 15 minutes with Jimmy J. And that's sort of like the catalyst that really lights a fire under Jim's butt because he knew that he needed to get the hell out of Indiana. I mean, Jim was a lot of things, but he wasn't stupid. And he knew he was... I mean, practically canceled in Indiana. Oh, dude, so canceled. Hashtag canceled. canceled. Hashtag canceled. And then you know what? He's like, you know what, Indiana? I'm going to hashtag cancel you. (laughs) So using the lie that the Midwest would be destroyed by a nuclear war on July 15th, 1967, Jim leads his most devout followers across the country to Redwood Valley, California, near a small city named Ukiah. Some members actually stayed in Indiana, but... Others sold their homes, they sold their belongings, and then they donated everything that they made to the temple. And then they just packed in a bus and headed to Northern California. That's, you know what? I will say, though, if you live in Indianapolis and you have Mm. a fucking option to go to a place (laughs) called Redwood Valley. True. Hell yeah. Sell it. it all. I do not care. Let's go. Honestly, yeah, I'm on board with that, too. So a little bit about Ukiah here. Uh, There was only around 15,000 people living in Ukiah, and most of them were white. Really? They also didn't give a shit about Jim Jones 
or the people's temple. They didn't need saving, and they didn't need Jim Jones to provide for them. They also weren't too keen about busloads of diverse socialists pulling up to town to make camp near their city, but Mm. that didn't stop Jim Jones and the people's temple. But Jim quickly learns that because of this, he sort of needs to change his tune up a bit. Instead of going after poor, discriminated against people, Jim now sets his sights on the white people and the rich people because he needed money. Oh, so 180. Good job. Yeah. I mean, he needs to build his compound. So he knows he can't do it in Ukiah. So what does he do? He shifts his focus to major cities such as San Francisco, San Fernando, and Los Angeles. And he starts organizing bus trips to these cities to try to gain more of a following. They're still headquartered in Ukiah at this time. But they were doing a lot of traveling and different road shows. Antiques road shows? Healings road shows. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind then. Not interested. Jim basically learned to morph into whoever you needed him to be. So if you love Jesus, he was your preacher who could save you from the evils of the world and help God forgive your sins. But if you were an activist, he was right there alongside you fighting for the rights and equal opportunity of all people. So Jim goes back to his old ways. That reminds me of, like, those girls that you know that start dating someone and then they totally <laughs> turn into, like, what their boyfriend is. Right. I mean, boys do it too, for sure. Mm. But it's just, like, whatever you need is what I'm going to be. Yeah. Like, if you're, like, totally, I don't know, like, you get acrylics all the time and maybe you <laughs> carry, like, designer purses mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're just, like, fishing every weekend. Right. Because your boyfriend does. Yeah, you're super now, like, into hunting and the oh, outdoors. Yeah. yeah, where before you would never, you didn't even know what a knife was, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's Jim Jones. Exactly. Yeah. He could appeal to whoever the hell he wanted to. Beautiful. So Jim goes back to his old ways of holding road shows where he would perform his healings, or he'd say he had a vision, but instead of him being the little creeper in the crowd, you know, scouting for info... He had a woman named Patty Cartmel do it, and we'll get into her involvement a little more later on, but she was very devoted to Jim Jones and the People's Temple, and she would sleuth through the crowds for information and was even one time arrested for going through the garbage of prospective members, like their garbage. That's amazing, actually. She was trying to find... Any information she could pass along to Jim so, you know, he could use it to convince these people that he had these special powers. Honestly, I'm very impressed with Patty right now. Yeah. Everyone needs a Patty in their life. Everyone needs a Patty. She's going through people's garbage (laughs) for info. Fuck yeah, dude. She's nailing it. I love it. Fucking nailing it. Get it, Patty. You may be asking yourself, well, how the hell did he get these people to just follow along with this and just believe wholeheartedly? Well... Jim had a term, and he called it situational ethics. So he said that this was for the betterment of the people's temple, and that doing things like going through people's garbages to find information so they could later lie about it, or waiting in crowds to try to hear information so they could later lie about it, Jim just claimed that this was just all for the betterment of the people's temple, and everyone was just like, okay, Got to, dude. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's for the community. It's for the, for the people. 
But the thing with this is that it worked. And through these tactics, Jim was able to grow the People's Temple from just 86 people in 1966 to almost 3,000 people in 1973. That's really huge. It's insane. Yeah. Oh, and remember how we were confused on how Jim Jones would tell people that chicken guts and livers had come out of them and that it was cancer? Uh And we weren't really sure because he wasn't making incisions on these people. Well, I found out how he did that. And it's not (laughs) great. Oh, my God. I can't wait. So Jim would pick people out of the crowd at random and he would tell them that, you know, you have this cancer inside of you. I can see it. I want to help you. So he would... Tell them to go to the bathroom. Okay. I'm not kidding. So he'd make these people go number two. Okay. So he'd be like, go shit in this porter potty yeah. right now. And I'm not sure how he made them do this on command. <laughs> that part I'll never understand. If Jim Jones tells you to shit, baby, you shit. That's showbiz. But then Jim Jones would come out with chicken livers and bloody animal guts And he would claim that this had come out of this person, you know, with his help. And he had helped rid them of this cancer. And he would show it to the crowd, like, present it on display. Look what this person evacuated from their body. (laughs) You guys, I just made this man shit out cancer. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm a kind of a big deal. Basically. I mean, Jim would eventually graduate from this shit situation. Oh, yeah. shit situation. <laughs> shit situation. Killing it, dude. And eventually, he would plant a nurse in the audience. So he'd still pick a random person from the crowd. But then he would have this random nurse come up. And I'm not sure how this happened, but somehow he would trick the person into putting the liver guts in their, their mouth. And Ew. somehow... What? Jim would then help them pass this cancer and they'd spit it out. I'm not sure how they convinced this person to do this, but what's even more fucked up is that then he'd have a member of the People's Temple eat the cancer. Just the chicken liver and all of the guts. I'm sorry. Take one for the team. I'm throwing up right now. Mm -hmm. So let me get this straight. Just real recap. Just like one Mm, second. Yeah, recap it. All right. So he's looking out in the crowd. He Mm. spots you. Yeah. He's like, give me a name. Sandra. Sandra. Sandra, I see that you, you're going to be Sandra. Sandra, I see that you have cancer inside of you. I do? I'm Jim motherfucking Jones, baby. Yeah. Come up here on stage and I will read this cancer from you. Is there a nurse? Is there a nurse in the crowd? Oh, I believe I'm a nurse. Oh, come up here, honey. What's your name? My name is... Samantha. Samantha and Sandra? Sure. We're fucking going with it. I like it. I like it. Okay. So Sandra comes up. She's got mm. the cancer real bad. Big yeah, C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And then Samantha comes up and he's all, Samantha, honey. And he like slips her like a chicken liver, mm-hmm. like on the sly. Yeah. And she's, she looks in Sandra's mouth, right? This has got to be how this goes down. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. There's no other fucking way tends to pull it out. You're a medical professional. Please examine Sandra and, and tell her where the cancer is. I see it. I feel it in my bones. Well, uh, oh, uh, I do believe I see some. Oh, what is that? Cancer and in her sh- mouth. And she straight up slips this chicken liver in, like puts her hand in her mouth. And Sandra's like, 
Because there's a fucking woman's hand and chicken livers in her mouth now. Yeah. So she spits it up because what is happening? Mm-hmm. And then obviously you have to eat the evidence. Right. You got to eat the cancer. What else do you do? But that's what doctors do, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I do not know how this is going down. Yeah, it's fucking weird. But that seems to be the only way that it could. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Sandra and Samantha. You can have a seat. <laughs> Great job. Great names, too. Thank so you. So the just best thing, you're so, I'm proud of you. Very clever. I mean, just. You're good at improv. I'm so good at No it. one can take that from you. <laughs> That's fucked up, dude. Yeah, it's really messed and up. Someone, some, was someone really eating this? Yeah. Were they really eating these raw chicken parts? Yeah. That's how you get salmonella, dude. Well, I mean, if Jim Jones can cure you of salmonella, doesn't matter. Or just so they thought. drink this flavor aid. It'll cure everything. <laughs> Jim would also sell pictures of himself at these roadshows. So people could buy a picture of him for $5. And with this picture, they were told that he would that they would be protected. And some people bought multiple pictures because, you know, the more gyms you have with you, the more protection you have with you. Gotta hang one in the bathroom. Gotta hang one in the kitchen. Gotta hang one in the bedroom. Don't forget the basement. Exactly. People were buying these for each room of their house. So, I mean, can you imagine how creepy that would be? Your friend comes over and they're like, who's this weird man who's framed in every one of the rooms of your house? A boy even claimed that he once laid a picture of Jim on a dead bird. And the bird miraculously came back to life. I believe it. I mean, this sounds super stupid, but the people's temple made a shit ton of money doing this. Like, more than you would expect. So, in one service, they could sell up to 600 pictures just of Jim, which earned them $3,000 in one night selling pictures. <laughs> and actually, if you go to buy this picture of Nicole and Noel from com, <laughs> you too yourself can have a $5 picture of Nicole and Noel from QU that will heal your dead birds and make them alive. You will be forever protected. Yes, we accept only your bank account information. Mm. Please just email it to us and we will sort it out. Thank and you so much. And complete devotion to us forever. And your social security number, <laughs> your mother's maiden name, and your birthday. It's also around this time that Jim creates the Planning Commission. So Jim was just one guy, and he was doing everything on his own. But eventually he realized that he needed some help. So he created the Planning Commission, which was composed of his most loyal followers, and also of just, like, anyone who he thought was super hot, which we'll get into later. The Planning Commission helped with scheduling and just day-to-day work to keep the people simple up and running. The planning commission also consisted of members that Jim wanted to keep a close eye on. You know, that friends close, enemies closer Mm, type of thinking. Of course. So he'd do this thing all the time where if a member questioned something he did or called him out for being crazy, if he felt they were valuable, he would reward them and give them a better job or a closer job to him. It was a complete manipulation tactic, but it totally worked. It makes sense to me. But not before he would publicly humiliate this person because Jim loved making an example out of people. And if you talked back, well, you got punished. And Jim was very into Stalin. And one time he was called out for it. And what did he do? 
he publicly humiliated the man and then rewarded him with a better job closer to him. This is like a classic abusive behavior. Yeah. It's like you abuse them and then you give them like aftercare and like hug and love right. and to- do totally. You punish them with uh-huh. one hand and then you reward and praise them with the other. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And also um, Jim claimed that he was the reincarnation of Gandhi, Father Divine, Jesus, Buddha, and then also Lenin and Marx. There are a lot of people in that pool. Yeah. He was all of them, apparently. So He was the golden hot tub in person form. The golden hot tub of people. Beautiful. It was also around this time that Jim Jones turned to drugs. See, Jim Jones was a very busy man. He was holding a lot of meetings with members of the People's Temple and also traveling a lot with his road shows. And Jim needed to be awake and on all of the time. Mm-hmm. So he turned to amphetamines for help. Yeah, of course, dude. See, Jim was holding meetings and he was also traveling to San Francisco and LA all of the time. And he had bought a fleet of old Greyhound buses and he used these to transport members of the temple to San Francisco or LA or wherever he was holding his meeting or whatever well nothing is cooler than a decommissioned greyhound bus (laughs) a smelly old bus i cannot imagine what a decommissioned greyhound bus smells like really bad another bad thing with this is that jim would jam pack these buses so not only are they stinky decommissioned greyhound buses but he would pack them with people so much so that children would actually be forced to sit on the luggage racks above. Oh. Like, they didn't get seats. They probably thought it was really fun, though. Oh, totally. Yeah. You would, like, close the thing over you. I would totally do that as It would be kid. so much fun. Jim also employed two drivers because there was no stopping on these road trips. They needed to get where they were going, and that was it. So while one drove, the other driver slept underneath the bus in the luggage compartment. What? Yeah. And then when one would get too tired or it was a different shift, they'd switch. So. What the fuck? Yeah. Yes. That's, also. I hate that. It's freaking yeah. me out to think about, like, sleeping in one of those luggage compartments. They, They're yeah, right above the road. They'd put a mattress and then the other driver oh. would just somehow fall asleep. And you know it's like an old ass mattress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not a good one. A decommissioned mattress. No. Also, by this time, it's safe to say that Jim Jones was already a pretty psychotic person. I mean, he's having all these visions, nuclear holocaust, what have you. But drugs didn't help this fact about Jim. So... Around 1970, Jim starts taking amphetamines. And by 1971, Jim is now on to speed. But he was also having trouble sleeping. So he needed to take quaaludes to fall asleep. Wow. So he's taking speed to, like, perk up and be awake. Mm -hmm. And then he can't sleep because he's fucking jacked out of his mind on speed. So he's crushing and snorting quaaludes. Yeah. That sounds so good for you. It's a lot of up and down just up and down, up and down, and this effect made his eyes super 
fucking red. Yeah, no shit, dude. Which is where his sick-ass sunglasses come in. Oh, we're okay, so we're officially in sunglass we're territory. We're in sunglass territory. Yeah. And Jim's reasoning for the sunglasses was that he felt that he needed, like, a cute little accessory to set him apart from the other members. Got to. He also claimed that he now possessed a godlike energy and that he could emit this godlike energy from his eyes and burn anyone he looked upon if he didn't have the sunglasses. So basically he's claiming he's fucking Cyclops from X-Men. I was just going to say that. And this is why he needs sunglasses. But really it's just because his eyes are all bloodshot from drugs. Wow. He was going to laser eye you right in half. He can do it. He's got (laughs) Thank God he's got his Ray-Bans on. Otherwise, we'd all be dead. Yeah. After Jim starts taking drugs, things start to get really weird. And oh, they're not okay. Well, so keep it weird, but not this weird. Oh, good. Like he would say weird shit to everyone, like drink warm water and vinegar every morning just for shits and gigs, just to see if they'd do it. And of course, they did it. He's very into making people drink things. Yeah. Is a thing I'm yeah, realizing. That's right definitely now. his thing. Yeah. He also started staging assassination attempts on himself. <laughs> okay. So I guess to try to make him seem super legit. And he actually learned this from Father Divine. Jealous Divine. Major jealous. So one time Jim shot at his own house. Like he just went outside, shoots his house, and then he <laughs> called the police. And he's like, please, come quick. Someone is trying to kill me. They totally just shot my house, but they missed me. Because I was behind the gun. Yeah. And then the cops come and they're investigating and they just absolutely see through this. And they're like, sir, did 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 you do this? Also, sir, it's 7 p.m. Why are you wearing sunglasses? Oh. He also started upping his manipulation game. When a People's Temple member got into a car accident and she died after leaving a meeting, actually, Jim told everyone that he had had a vision that she was going to die on her way home and that he had told her that she needed to meditate for two minutes before she left. According to Jim, she didn't do this and just left. And Jim says that that's why she died. So basically, he's sending the message to his congregation, listen to me, or you're going to die. Jim would also conduct what he called poison tests, and he did this several times. He would gather everyone around, hand out juice, soda, water, whatever. He'd cheers everyone and let everyone drink. And then after everyone drank, he'd be like, oh yeah, by the way, That drink was poisoned. Just to see what everyone would do. Well, I'd probably freak the fuck out because Jim just told me he put poison in my drink. And then Jim would just be like, nah, I'm just kidding. So, sick prank, Jim. You get one of those and I'm leaving. Yeah, exactly. But he did this multiple times. Yeah. And people were just cool with it it's kind of like jim's thing you know what i mean like he's just kind of crazy he's like a legend like that if he offers you any juice don't drink it am i right unless you want to die maybe we don't know (laughs) (laughs) 
By this time, Jim is still punishing people who would step out of line or talk back, but now he's upped his game. So first, it was just the public humiliation. He'd basically just yell at you in front of everyone. But now, with the help of drugs, he's escalated to public spankings. Amphetamines will do that to you. I mean, you you gotta keep it fun. Once in a while, you know? Oh, yeah. Keep it light. Keep it fun. (laughs) So Jim would hold long-ass meetings with the help of his drugs, obviously. And these meetings were so long that people would piss pants themselves because they weren't allowed to leave to go to the bathroom. Because they would lock the doors. (gasps) I would just try to piss over the roof. Well, you can't if you're locked in a room. That's true. If you're under the roof, what do you do? Hit the ceiling? That's impressive. I'm impressed. Still still impressive. I'm very impressed. The members who attended these meetings were also not allowed to sit on chairs because Jim felt that chairs were a distraction. But Jim was able to preach from a couch on which he would lay while his followers stood peeing all over themselves. Jim also actually had a bucket that he kept behind the stage where he could relieve himself. He kept the piss in there. He kept the chicken livers in there. It's It's got everything. Yeah, it's a multi-purpose bucket. Yeah, I mean, what else would you keep in there? What a fucking asshole, dude. Yeah. He gets to lay on a couch and these people don't even get to sit on those awful folding chairs. Right. It's that godlike complex that That's he true. adopted. But in these meetings, people who stepped out of line, they would get spanked in front of everyone. So... First, Jim used a belt, but then he eventually graduated to a paddle, like in Days and Confused, you know, (laughs) one of my favorite movies. And Jim cleverly called this paddle the Board of Education. Oh, good one. Mm. Good one, Jim. First, spankings were pretty tame, just like a lick here and there. But then eventually, they got so severe that members would need to seek medical attention after a spanking because... Whoever was doing them got a little out of hand. Damn. Sort of like Ben Affleck's character in Dazed and Confused. No, no, no. We call him Ben Sadfleck now. Sadfleck. Sadfleck. Ben Sadfleck carrying things. That's my fucking life right there. It's the best meme ever. Aw. If you think that's bad, it gets worse. So Jim then decided that spanking wasn't enough. Of course. So he decided he was going to start his own little fight club. What? And would force people to fight in boxing matches. He was, like, pinning members against each other because he loved snitch bitches. And members loved coming to Jonesy with all their gossip about who was being too bourgeois. This is something Jim used to punish people. Being too bourgeois meant that you were too materialistic. So, let's say if Patty Cartmel heard you being too bourgeois... Into the boxing ring you went. They would set you up in a ring with someone twice your size, almost guaranteed to kick your ass, just to show you a lesson. So think that one scene in Fight Club where Edward Norton beats the shit out of Jared Leto. I'd love to beat the shit out of Jared Leto. Just wants to destroy something beautiful. I mean, who doesn't? Don't like him. So even if you were paired against someone double your size, guaranteed to lose, and you won... They just keep throwing another opponent at you over and over and over again. And they would do this until you eventually lost. Wow. 
So they're setting you up to just get your ass beat. People were sometimes forced to do it naked, which was just another way to humiliate them. And sometimes these pairings were so insane, they would pair, say, 75-year-old Mrs. Williams against 25-year-old Daryl. And obviously, Daryl would win. How do you beat up Mrs. Williams? You have to, because Jim told you to. I don't think I could. Well. I think it'd be out. Yeah. That's what you would think. But a lot of these people are not what you would think. That's true. They did join a cult. Mm, Yeah. Jim's family life was also not helped by his newfound love of drugs. In fact, his only biological son, Stephen, attempted suicide three times when he was just 12 years old. And he did this by taking handfuls of Jim's drugs that he would just leave around the house. Stephen later said that this was just a straight cry for help. But Jim was too wrapped up in himself and his cult to care. Because, I mean, you'd think after the first time, you'd maybe hide your drugs, Jim. Yeah, maybe maybe once. At least just so he doesn't even waste them, you know? <laughs> right. Like, at this point, if you don't care about him, at least you care about the drugs, exactly. I would assume. His relationship with Marceline was also very strained. But he still lied and was telling everyone that him and Marceline would bang five times in one night. <laughs> High five, am I right? Uh, But this was not true because Marceline actually had a back condition and she couldn't have sex. And also five times a night. Yeah. Come on, Jim. That's stretching it, Jim. Come on, Jim. We see you eating corn dogs. (laughs) We see you not working out. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. You're not hydrated enough. You Mm -mm. fucking wish. Mm -mm. You're not in shape. embarrassing yourself. (laughs) I'm embarrassed for you. Jim would also take his pick of members of the planning commission. So one of those members being Carolyn Layton. And he justified this to Marceline by claiming that he needed to have sex in order to keep his spiritual powers funky and fresh. Did he say funky and fresh? I added that in, but I feel like he was feeling it. I feel like he did say that. Yeah, he might have. He probably called his biceps funky and fresh. He was on drugs. He probably did. Yeah. He also told his kids this. So not only is he telling Marceline that he's going to sleep with other women, but he's telling his kids, hey, I'm going to sleep with another woman who isn't your mom. Here's Stephen. We spelled your name wrong, but I got to say something to you. I was, can you pass, yeah, pass the jar of quaaludes. Yeah, take a handful, I don't care. Do what you want. Okay, great. Well, you know your mom? She's a bitch. I'm going to sleep with somebody else. So, um, oh. Who are you? Oh, wait, you're Jim, you're you're me, Jim Jensen. <laughs> Where's the one that we spelled wrong? That's, that's a direct quote, actually. Yeah, it's from the Jim Jones Diaries, it's actually. from Jones Jonestown. The Untold. Mm-hmm. But... In order to keep Carolyn's husband happy, Jim then plucked a little hottie from his congregation and just gave her to Carolyn's husband as his new wife. I hope Carolyn's husband was cute. Uh, I didn't find any research on that, but who knows? I'm going to just guess no. Probably not. Not great. Jim later raped this woman, who was named Debbie Layton. In the back of one of his buses, and while he did this, he told her that he was doing it for her. Jim was a sex addict, and he had relations with not only women, but also men. He claimed 
everyone in the world was a homosexual. Except for him. You're the one fucking dudes, Jim. Right. Just chill out for one minute. Yeah, don't pass judgment on people, okay? Yeah. I think you need to take a seat. Take Yeah, sit down in that bus, buddy, for yeah. one second. Jim said that he was the only heterosexual person on the planet, and he said that anyone who claimed differently was just compensating. Oh, well, <laughs> just going to put this out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was compensating. Oh, well, you look at that. That's well, a thought. It was just, just, Stephen, what's your name? He <laughs> passed me the passed me the ones that made me happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I'm straight. Yeah, there's a dick in my hand. It's not mine. <laughs> I'm fucking straight. Okay. You're gay. You're fucking gay. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Get the get the Korean ones. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> That's another quote. Yeah. It's a direct quote. From the Jim Jones Diaries. What a fucked up thing to do. I know. Despite him saying this, though, a man named Tim Carter, who actually got out of the cult and is where a lot of information comes from. Oh, yeah. So, hell yeah, Jim. Hell yeah, Tim. I just called him Jim. Hell yeah, Tim. What rhymes? That's easy. There are a lot of Tims and Jims. There's so so many. So many. It's like there were three names in the 1970s. Jim, Tim, and Mr. Muggs. There it is. And his name was Tim also. His name was <laughs> Timothy James. It's just a mess. So Tim says that when he first joined the People's Temple, Jim Jones actually came up to him once and he patted him on the neck and he said, and this is just, I guess, paraphrased from Tim's memory, but this is what Tim says. Jim told Tim... I'll fuck you in the ass if you want. But Tim politely declined. And then Jim said, all right, well, if you ever want that, that's okay. Just let me know and we'll do that. He politely declined. Politely declined. Yeah, I'll fuck you in the ass if you want. Does he see the sunglasses? <laughs> this is a cool guy with glasses. And this is the kind of glasses a guy that will fuck you in the ass if you wanted to wear. glasses. And Tim's like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks so much. He's like, all right, well, we'll see these glasses. <laughs> if you wanted it, this is fine. We can do it. Just let me know. I got to I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> but so, he's the only heterosexual. Yeah, no, he's the only straight person in the world. All day. That's everyone else's. See day. these glasses? So. Straight guy glasses. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> see these right here? Cool guy glasses. Straight guy glasses. Straight guy glasses. I'm Jim motherfucking Jones. Jim was sort of a homophobe, if you (laughs) haven't already guessed. Sure. Um, When one of the members of the People's Temple expressed to Jim that he was gay and he wanted to be in an openly gay relationship with his partner, Jim just flat out told him no. How? Where the fuck does he get off, dude? He's fucking Jim Jones. But I thought everyone was gay except for him. Yeah, he's... I don't understand this whole thing with him being against gay people. He's all about equality, but for some reason, he's a homophobe. I don't know. Instead, Jim told this man, just, you know, go to the city. Hit up the gay bars in L.A. Just hit the gay bars up. Get in your little fix. And he was cool with that, but he was not cool with this man publicly being gay in his community. 
because he didn't want it in his community. But he was okay with it, just not publicly. But he openly said to Tim Carter, Mm -hmm. if you want, I'll get real gay with you. Yep. But not in public. Yeah. So maybe he's suppressing... Oh, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. He's... I don't know. That's... None of that makes sense to me. It doesn't really follow the Jim Jones equality thing that he preached about. But anyways, Jim's sexcapades became public knowledge within the congregation, probably because he would make people write about their sexy times that they had with him. And then he'd make them read it out loud in front of everyone. This guy has no fucking chill. No chill. And this was a big thing that he did with the planning commission meetings and the members. Because, you know, he was plucking all of his partners from the planning committee. Remember Patty Cartmel? Sure. Well, she was obsessed with Jim. And she even offered herself to him. Like, you want sex, Jim? Come over here. But Jim told her she was too fat. (gasps) Yeah. Dick. Wow. So instead, he made her in charge of his sexcapades schedule. That is, that's abuse. Yeah. So she's like, hey, Jim, you look super cute today. Are those Mm -hmm. new shades? You look like a cool guy. (laughs) And he's like, you know, Patty, you're just very fat. Okay? You're fat. And you want to have sex with me, but instead you get to schedule all the other ladies that I want to have sex with. Mm-hmm. And fat. So make her feel important, but then, you know. Yeah, I guess he's kind of doing that thing also where he's taking a person that he doesn't, like, he doesn't want, mm-hmm. like, he doesn't want their opinion, he doesn't like what they're doing, and he puts them in a position of power. Yeah. Because he wants to keep him. Uh She's loyal and he needs her assistance. He needs her loyalty, but he doesn't want to fuck her. Do you think that's purposeful? Do you think that, do you think it's purposeful or do you think that he was born with this innate ability to manipulate? Or do you think he thinks to himself, how do I keep Patty around? I think he learned how to manipulate people. And then it's just second nature and he does it automatically. Yeah. 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 Like pushing a puppy down a trap door. Why? It's just second Why? nature to him. God damn second you. Second fucking nature. God fuck, I'm quitting this podcast. Bye. <laughs> no, please. So Jim would tell the people that he was having sex with that they were supporting the people's temple and that they were aiding in the ultimate goal of the community. And he also claimed that if you had sex with him, you would gain confidence. Oh. Because nothing says confidence like fucking an ugly Eskimo. Oh, no. So little Jimba, the ugly Eskimo, mm. has grown up into, wait for it, don't be surprised, an even uglier manipulative yes. adult. So cute. Yeah, not, not cute at all. It got to the point where old members would start warning newcomers of Jim's sex addiction. Jim also didn't believe in condoms. I'm surprised. So he impregnated a lot of women. Yeah. Who naturally wanted to keep their babies because they had thought that they were impregnated by God. Oh, yeah, dude. But Jim 
made them all get abortions because he said bringing more people into the world was against socialist ideas. You know what? Actually, good idea because they were all going to name them Jesus because they were the son of God. And that mm. would have been so confusing, you know. Jim, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, you can't have like a thousand of them. That's too many. <laughs> You're so, gonna have to switch to Jin or to Tim at some point. Tim, oh my god, so. Tim! Don't get me started on Tim. <laughs> it's just a J without the little hooky part at the mm. bottom. <laughs> Jim would also only ever sleep with white women, and when he was called out on this, his reasoning was that white women were too bourgeois, and the only way to fix it was if he just banged out the bourgeois out of all of them. No. Regardless of all of his drug-fueled craziness, Jones wanted even more power. And in order to do so, he decided his congregation needed to move from Northern California and on to bigger and better things in San Francisco. Because the location of the Ukiah Church didn't allow for much expansion, it was time to branch out into more urban areas. It was around this time that Jim Jones opened a San Francisco chapter, as Nicole had mentioned. I looked around for a very specific date, but couldn't find one. I could really only find early 1970s. So I am going to guess early 1971 based on the other information that we have. Seems to line up. Yeah, I would say 71, 72, it's definitely some time. Everything said early 1970s? Yeah. Nothing was really direct. I What's up with that? I don't know. It's weird. Well, the People's Temple had occupied the former Scottish Rite Temple at 1859 Geary Boulevard. They also opened a branch in L.A. the following year, which seems like the one that Jim Jones thought would be more popular because, like, duh, L.A., right? But turns mm. out it wasn't. Sweet little baby Jimba, which I am never going to stop calling him, <laughs> held recruiting drives at other churches in disguise as a guest speaker. Sort of like, can I like do an interview on your podcast? And then they get on there and then they're just like way aggressive and they're like only preaching about their own podcast and not like doing an interview. Oh. Yeah. Hardcore Jimba style. You just like take over. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. This did help membership increase from just a few hundred in the area to, there was a registered membership of 3,000, so technically that's all they considered. Mm. But I saw places that it was in, like, it was around 20,000 at one point. Yeah, because I think they, I mean, they kept their, they were serious about who they let in. Right. So there were a lot of people that kind of, like, followed along and, like, came along to their events, but they only let in the people who were really dedicated. Yeah, so they only registered 3,000 people in the mid-1970s, by the mid-1970s. Jim Jones shifted the headquarters, or as he called it, the Mother Church, from Ukiah to San Francisco. He even managed to convince many of the Los Angeles members to move north in order to stay with the temple. Hmm. With all of these followers, Jim's God complex just totally began to explode even further out of control. He started hosting healing sermons again, busting hundreds and hundreds of members around the state to act as unwavering worshipers. Through donations at all of these services, he would bring in somewhere between $15,000 and $25,000 a week 
in Los Angeles. Damn. And around 8,000 to 12,000 in San Francisco. It's all that sweet, sweet picture money. <laughs> yeah, dude. $5 a, a pop? You got to do it. Yeah. I mean, what, are you not going to have a picture of Jim Jones in the same place that you shit? I wonder if there are people who still have that picture that they bought. Oh, yeah. Selling it on eBay for, like, thousands how, of dollars. How many do you think went to Goodwill? A lot. So many. Ooh, can you imagine finding that at Goodwill? And oh, people are just like, well, I'll just dream. take this picture out of this frame and use the frame. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an original OG Jim Jones protector picture. So they're raking in the cash right now. It's not Spider Monkey selling chump change here. <laughs> this is real, real money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. The media caught wind of this because, duh, and they were very suspicious because, duh. In 1972, the San Francisco Examiner and the Indianapolis Star ran the first four parts of a seven-part story on the People's Temple. This was the first public expose on the temple, and it covered the church events, Jim Jones's claims of healing, the insane rituals of throwing a Bible across the room. I love this. So he throws a Bible across the room, right? Yeah. And then he goes and he gets the Bible, and then he throws it again across the room. And then he runs over and he jumps on it, like up and down, like Three Stooges style, like a total bit here. And then a band starts playing. What was the point of his Bible throwing? Drama? Oh, okay. Yeah, he was into the performance aspect of everything. So that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, supposedly he would shout, This black book has held down you people for 2,000 years! It has no power! And then he would straight up tap dance all over a Bible. Ooh, some time steps? You got to. Nailed it. Got to. Kickball changing on it. You know what I mean? (laughs) He called the Bible a book written by man, making a point to prove that it was very condescending towards anyone but white men and also that it contradicts itself numerous times, which I'll give him. It's just a fucking book written by a person. No one even knows who wrote it either. So no, it's all. It could be a story for all we know. Yeah. A fiction story. So just jump on your Bible, I guess, is what we're saying right now. Jim Jones it. Kickball change all (laughs) over it. Yeah, Jim Jones it, but not the cyanide kind of Jim Jonesing. Just the kickball change, Jim Jones. Yeah, uh there's two. There's Jim Jonesing, and then there's Jim Jonesing. Yeah. We want you to Jim Jones, not Jim Jones. Yes, absolutely. For that, for sure. Jim Jones did not like this expose. He did not want the People's Temple to be shown in a negative light or even anything but a glowingly positive light. He ordered his members to picket outside of the examiner offices where they chanted and they harassed the editor and anyone going in and out of the building. When Jim Jones threatened both the examiner and the son with libel suits, they called off the rest of the expose, having only printed the first four sections of a seven-part series. To save face, though, Jim Jones began to make sizable donations to California newspapers under the guise of, quote, supporting the First Amendment. Mm, Yeah, he's very, very, very in support of the First Amendment, unless it's talking negatively about himself. Right. Then he doesn't like it. He just kickball changes and switches his tune. That's right. That's a new flip in reverse, kickball change. 
Kickball chain switch. Once the mother church had been moved to San Francisco, Jim Jones felt more comfortable opening up about his real ideologies. He started admitting to members of the People's Temple and even the public, which is wild to me, that he had been an atheist the whole time. He kickball changed it and was like, surprise, I'm a fucking atheist. He's like, five, six, seven, eight, kickball change, kickball change, pivot, turn, pose. I'm an We're atheists. Jesse. He said he never, ever believed in a sky god, and if you did, you're a fucking moron. Mm. Marceline would go on to be quoted in the New York Times, saying, quote, Jim used religion to try to get some people out of the opiate of religion, and had slammed a Bible on the table, yelling, I've got to destroy this paper idol. So, again, pageantry, drama, really great dance moves. This guy has got it all. Changing his tune with a kickball change. <laughs> it's the only way to, honestly. It's, I mean, he loves he loves a good entertainer. I did read the article from the New York Times. You know, I love a contemporary article. Yeah, you do. And the review that Marceline gave of Jim was weirdly very neutral. Just totally matter of fact. Like, you can tell something is wrong, mm. but she can't say that because yeah. she's his husband. This is the New York Times. Yeah. It read almost to me like she was being held prisoner, which makes sense because she fucking was. Jim had been known to humiliate Marceline on purpose. Which, very in character for him. Yeah. To tell this bit of the story, I have to... We're going to reverse for like one second. God, you're amazing. You. And I want to start a story that I will finish later. So this is going to be very fucking messy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, remember, Jim Jones likes to humiliate Marceline. Put a pin in it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell part of a story that will continue next week. Mm, yeah. There's a lot going on simultaneously here, and I'm going to try so hard to make sense of it. So I'm going to tell a story about a man named Tim Stone. Timothy Oliver Stone is an American attorney, a member of the People's Temple, and a close confidant to Jim Jones, and later in life, an opponent of the group that would lead to the years-long custody battle over his son, John Victor Stone. This battle would eventually lead to the main investigation of the People's Temple's compound in Jonestown in Guyana. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. And I'm going to try to make this yeah. make sense. That's, okay, That's a bunch of... We're, we're going to get into that a little bit later. There's so much here. So much. And I didn't know how to line it out, right? It's hard. There's so much information that a lot of people just don't ever touch on. No, and I... <sighs> I couldn't go chronologically, so I'm trying to go by person here. Yeah. So bear with me, people. We got it. We got it. We're with you. In 1967, Tim Stone was working at the district attorney's office when he decided that he needed to start fighting for the little guy. He specifically searched out work with the intention of helping flower children and similar hippie groups in San Francisco, while at the same time working as a staff attorney for the Legal Aid Society of the Alameda County. Tim Stone first met members of the People's Temple when it was suggested to him that he ask the group for help to renovate the Mendocino County Legal Aid offices. When 24 members of the temple showed up to work the following Sunday, Tim's interest was piqued. The members talked nothing good 
nothing but good about the temple, and Tim began sending people to the People's Temple in San Francisco branch for drug and marriage counseling. This is where Tim would meet Jim. And they were instantly impressed with each other, being like, wow, our names rhyme. You're Jim. I'm Tim. And Jim's all, oh, that's crazy, man. So you have have so much in common. Were you also, your name's Tim? Was it Tim? It's just like a J without like the little, the hook part at the bottom. Okay, great. Were you also neglected by a car playing father that was, you know, you were raised by a church going old lady and then she would... She would make it so that you knew how to use religion as a weapon. And Tim was like, wait, what the fuck is going on right now? And then Jim's like, wait, so you didn't love Hitler as a child? But your name is Tim. And Tim's like, yeah, it is. And Jim's like, fuck yeah. And they high-fived and they (laughs) moved on because all of that was really weird. Yeah. Tim was actually very, very impressed with sweet little Jimba. His good character, his desire to always complete good deeds. He loved that Jim and Marceline also adopted a black child when this was just something that was completely unheard of for a white couple to do at Mm -hmm. the time. And when Tim saw Jim Jones scrubbing the toilets in the church by himself, he was absolutely indoctrinated. Surely a man who will touch a dirty toilet cannot be bad, right? Right. I mean, and we see this all the time with Jim Jones. It's like he puts on this facade that he's this great person and he's adopting these children and he's got a rainbow family and he loves everyone and it's all equality, but it's honestly just a front. I don't believe anything that he believed anything. No. I think that he was just a huge piece of shit and used that as a way to manipulate people to follow him. He probably like dropped a quaalude in the toilet and was trying (laughs) to get it out. out. Yeah. Because he needed to take a nap soon because he was yeah. fucking, he's been out for 72 hours. Yeah. So he's trying to fish his quaalude out of the toilet and Tim <laughs> sees him and he's all like, wow, look at this guy. Clean into it's like a regular Joe. But he's not a Joe. He's a gym and he's trying to get his toilet quaaludes in mm. so he can go to fucking sleep for once. Toilet quaaludes. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Tim and Jim, which is just so cute. Adorable. It's so cute. Become good friends with Jim always telling Tim how smart he was. I mean, probably even smarter than him, right? He was saying that he needed someone like Tim on his side to be mm. in the cult, I'm, the church. <laughs> he needs someone to be the attorney for the church and... Who else but Tim? Tim started attending services at the People's Temple, and slowly he started integrating his personal life with the church, something that he would go on to regret forever. Big time. Tim had moved to be closer to the church in Ukiah in 1970, working as a DA for Mendocino County. Tim also committed to... Providing legal aid to the People's Temple and slowly but surely began to fit into the temple's socialist ideals. The same year, Tim married Grace Gretsch, a young protester and revolutionary like himself, who he met at a march against overpopulation and pollution. Two birds, one stone. Mm -hmm. Grace joined the People's Temple along with Tim. At this time, Tim was spending most of his free time with Jim Jones. I mean, they were besties, right? Like, their names rhymed in everything. Tim and Jim. And he believed in Jim Jones. And he believed in the causes of the People's Temple and what they stood for. Because of this, Tim and Grace's marriage began to fall apart. 
She found friendship within the People's Temple and would frequently tell her friend group about the troubles that her and Tim were having. Which was a big fucking mistake, Grace. Mm, don't tell Patty Cartmel anything, because she is a snitch bitch. Yeah, dude. Jim Jones kept fi- literal file cabinets full of handwritten note cards detailing gossip about each and every member of the temple's, like, population. Mm-hmm. He had a network of snitches, usually old women, like Patty. Snitch bitches. That would just write down whatever they knew, and then they would slip the information into a slot marked Jim's snitch slot. That was not its name. No, I don't even know if there was a (laughs) slot, but I like to say Jim's snitch slot. You got any information about the People's Temple? You want to let me know? Stick it in Jim's snitch slot. It's hard to say. Jim's snitch slot. Say it three more times. Jim's snitch slot. I can't. Can't even do it. Jim's snitch slot. Slip it in the slot, baby. Slip it in Jim slip slot. <laughs> Gross. Jim obviously caught wind of what was going on, and he decided to do the only reasonable thing he could. He made a move on Grace. Mm. Whether the move was to establish dominance, which that's where I would put my money, which Jim was also very much known to do, or because he was just a sex addict who was high off his ass every fucking day and he didn't really know what his motives were. Yeah, I'm going to go with number two, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe. That's my that's my vote. He's pounding quaaludes with a child he didn't know. He, I mean... He's like, what's your name? I just... <laughs> love how that's the gym voice. <laughs> well, he's fucking high. I don't know. He sounds drunk on that, I guess. Well, he swooped in when her husband wasn't there for her. He banged the shit out of her, and then she got pregnant. And as you said earlier, there were plenty of abortions at the People's Mm, Temple. There were. But this pregnancy slipped through the crack, just like many little slips in Jim's snitch slot. (laughs) This snitch slipped through. (laughs) Well, this baby slipped through the cracks, and a sweet baby boy named John Victor Stone was born on January 25th, 1972, in Aquarius. Tim and Grace were legally listed on the birth certificate, but Jim had a problem with that. He saw the baby and was like, wait, does that look like an ugly little Eskimo (laughs) to anyone else? And then he forced Tim to write a letter detailing that he was not the father of little John John, but in fact, Jim Jones was the father. I have the letter. Should I read it? Please do. It's fucked up, dude. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Okay, the letter reads, I, Timothy Oliver Stone, hereby acknowledge that in April 1971, I entreated my beloved pastor, James W. Jones, to sire a child by my wife, Grace Lucy Gretsch Stone, who had previously at my insistence, reluctantly but graciously consented thereto. Right, right. James W. Jones agreed to do so reluctantly after I explained that I very much wished to raise a child, but was unable to, after extensive attempts, to sire one by myself. Mm, Okay. My reason for requesting James W. Jones to do so is that I wanted my child to be fathered, if not by me, but by the most compassionate, honest, and courageous human being the world contains. 
I declare under penalty of perjury that the foregoing is true and correct. That's a real fucking letter that Jim Jones wrote and made this man sign. I was going to say, it sounds like Tim didn't have anything to do with writing that letter, but it was actually just Jim the entire time. Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised he doesn't have in there, like, the tallest, most handsome, beautifully sunglassed man in the whole world. Did I mention he's got a huge dick and he makes uh, love to women (laughs) five times, if not more, a a night, so, I mean. Easily. And he's not an ugly Eskimo, okay? He's never looked like one. Like, literally no one's ever said that about Jim Jones, okay? But he did father my son, who also doesn't look Eskimo-ish or ugly or whatever that even means. No, no. There's no Eskimo looky-likes over here, okay? Not even one looky-like over here. Not a one. So, whatever. Sincerely, Tim Stone. Love, Tim. (laughs) So that's what... (laughs) I can't believe I didn't say that part, honestly. You left that part out. I did. I'm sorry. I was paraphrasing (laughs) here. We'll have more on Tim later, probably next episode, because this is already getting kind of long. Mm. But for now, we're going to get back to Marceline. Jim Jones made Marceline sign that letter as a witness. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. He wanted to humiliate her and let her know that he was in charge. And he was just fucking all these women and getting them pregnant and doing what he wanted and that he didn't look like an Eskimo. Obviously, (laughs) did you read the fucking letter? And that Marceline just had to be okay with it. She absolutely did. But she was so fucking done. Yeah. She had met a nice man, a psychiatrist. I could not find his name anywhere. And she wanted out. She told Jim that she was leaving and she was taking her five children with her. Jim called an emergency family meeting, and he spent the entire time berating Marceline in front of their children. He tried to intimidate her by telling her that he would send his, quote, Avengers of Death. Um, okay. After her, but she stayed strong. She was like, fuck you, Jim. I'm fucking leaving, and I'm taking the kids. Even that one, the one just hammer-fisting quaaludes into his (laughs) mouth right now. (laughs) Hammer-fisting. It was only when Jim told Marceline in private that he would kill her in front of their children to set an example and had his terrifying private army of goons stand watch over her at all times that she gave up and decided to stay with the people's temple and live out her life of misery. Right. Because, I mean, at this point, she knows that he would totally 100% do that. Yeah. Like, that's not a threat. That's... I will do this if you leave me. And she Mm -hmm. knows he has the capability to do it. So Yeah. He had this weird private army that he kind of accumulated slowly. Mm -hmm. He would go to like um, Alcoholics Anonymous or like drug, like Attic Anonymous, like meetings. And he would recruit people. People who needed him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then he would indoctrinate them and they'd be part Mm -hmm. of a temple giving up their little stepsystem that relied on the sky god. And replacing it with Jim. Right. And then he would give them a lot of guns. And then he would say, protect me. And their thought was that Jim had saved them. They owed Jim. They owed Jim their life. Uh Uh-huh. And they would give their life for Jim. So it's pretty scary, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the children were mostly fine with saying, honestly, they did not care. Aside from Stephen, who... 
as we mentioned, tried to kill himself by overdosing on quaaludes three times at the age of 12 mm-hmm. without success. Yeah. Otherwise, the other ones truly did not give a shit. The children mostly spent time having actual fun, just getting the run of the church, the whole compound situations. They never wanted for anything. And they even had their own special pet. Yes. Mr. Timothy James Muggs. <laughs> His name was not Timothy James, was it? Tim Jim. Was it Tim Jim? No, it wasn't. I don't think he had a first name. It was name. just Mr. Muggs, right? Yeah, Mr. Muggs oh, with two I Gs. I love Mr. Muggs. Mr. Muggs was a chimpanzee that Jim Jones claimed he had rescued from an animal testing lab. Uh, when, in fact, he bought the monkey from a pet store. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, when the family was living in Ukiah. So, Mr. Muggs lived with the family. He, this is a pretty big point here, shit wherever the fuck he wanted. No. <laughs> because he was diaper trained, but Jim Jones refused to put a diaper on him. Why? Not a clue. He wrecked havoc uh, all over the place. What the? What is the point of that? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I truly don't know. Mr. Muggs lived in a cage that had a small building connected to it where he could go inside to stay warm. The cage was outside. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Muggs' cage placement was very strategic. He was kept as sort of a security alarm so that Jim Jones would know if anyone was approaching their house. Mr. Muggs would go wild. Oh, Okay. Jim was extremely cruel to Mr. Mm. Muggs, often physically beating him when he didn't behave like a human, you know, because he wasn't an ape. So I don't really get that one either. Right. Eventually, longtime Temple member named Joyce Touche adopted Mr. Muggs. Mm. Mr. Muggs would eventually go to Jonestown with Joyce, being the very first to die in the mass murder. Receiving a bullet to the back of the head. Mm. Which, fun fact, the only structure that was built at Jonestown by the time everyone arrived Uh was a cage for Mr. Muggs. No. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. It was the only thing that they had built. So, I don't know what's going on, man. Do they love him? Whatever. He was sort of like a mascot. Yeah, he was. Yeah. They would give him like a crumpled up paper Dixie cup full of flavoring. Yeah. (laughs) And... He, they would train him to shout, I'm the flavoring man, and then he would punch through walls. Mm. And that was the origin of the Kool-Aid man, little known fact. Mm. So he started that whole thing. He did. Mr. Muggs did it. Mr. Timothy James Muggs. Oh, yeah. All of that was a lie. Once the congregation <laughs> was firmly rooted in San Francisco, Jim Jones was starting to double down on his socialist ideals, saying that the government was out to get them. Jim was known to say, quote, We live by the rule of from each according to his ability and to each according to his need. He claimed that the government was setting up internment camps for black people all over the United States, and that the IRS was investigating them for fraud, which the second part was actually true. Mm. The IRS was digging into the people's temple to determine if they were worthy of religious tax exemption. Right. I mean, if your leader claims that he's an atheist, why does he get Well, he's also, he's also God. Okay, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, a religion can be practiced freely, so who are they to say he isn't? Yeah, that's what I'm going to say in my cult, the cult of the captain, (laughs) Captain Crunch. He is God. 
And you cannot tell us any different. And give it unto them. Oops, all berries. <laughs> Jim Jones is also starting to get more controlling at this time. He wanted his members to start living even more communally than they already had been. He even wanted his members to start adopting the, quote, it takes a village mentality when it comes to raising children. He made sure to emphasize the importance of physical discipline towards those children. He was very into beating people. Yeah, I'm getting that from this. He's, he likes it. Big beating vibes. Yeah. Jim Jones also started becoming more choosy with his new members, making sure each was vetted thoroughly and observed for a lengthy period of time before truly being let into the People's Temple. Jim made it known after the People's Temple moved to San Francisco that he was interested in politics and he started pivoting in that direction. Remember that first it was all about God, mm-hmm. and then it was all about socialism. And right. then he was a socialist god. And now he thinks, why the fuck not get into politics? You know, it's the next natural step. Right. He's got all these followers because mm-hmm. he promised them that he was super into God. And then when that didn't work, he was like, well, well maybe it's more like a, a socialist thing. And then he decided that he was God. And then he basically just used all of that for his political agenda. Yeah, pretty much. The temple was quickly proving to be a powerful political tool, with its large voter mobilization efforts being instrumental in the election of a new mayor of San Francisco in 1975. As a result, Jones was appointed the chairman of San Francisco Housing Authority Commission because his group did so much to get this guy elected. Other politicians started taking note and supporting the People's Temple, most notably Jerry Brown, Mervyn Dalmy, I'm going to say, Willie Brown, Art Angos, and Harvey Milk. Did you see the Milk movie? I did see the Milk movie. Was it good? It was really good. Oh, I never saw it. Really? No. Um, Who is the... Fuck. Sean Penn? Sean Penn, yes. He's very, very good in that movie. And I think he actually won the Academy Award for it, if I'm not wrong. Well, I will have to watch it. You should. Harvey Milk would become a very big supporter of the People's Temple, but he never attended any meetings. Really? Yes. He had been known to amplify the temple's ideals, and he even wrote letters to President Jimmy Carter defending Jim Jones. No. Yep. After reports of abuse emerged from the compound in Guyana. Senator Dianne Feinstein, who became mayor after the mayor that they helped get elected was assassinated, joined the Board of Supervisors in honoring Jim Jones. Mm. Politician Willie Brown visited the People's Temple sermons regularly, and he spoke publicly in support of Jim Jones, even after investigations and suspicions of cult activity. Jim Jones used his new political position to lead the fight against the eviction of tenants from San Francisco's International Hotel. See, at the time, a lot of hotels also had a shit ton of people just living in them full time for some reason. Mm -hmm. It was a thing in California. Like the Cecil. Exactly. Which, I mean, everyone would know because they have watched the Cecil documentary right yeah not to be confused with the cecile hotel it is the cecil don't get me started on the cecil (laughs) that's for sure cecil she shall she shall 
Jones was such a big name in the political scene that he even got to meet First Lady Rosalind Carter on multiple occasions, including a very private dinner date. And he continued to correspond with her in letters for quite some time afterward. Jim Jones starts getting into a lot of like really crazy shit now, like crazier than we have touched on so far. And I feel like we keep saying that, but it is escalating so hard right now. Each time it's like, and then he escalated and then he escalated again and then he escalated again. (laughs) And then when you think he's done, he's not. He gets on another escalator. Well, that's how you keep people interested. That's why these people will continue to follow him. Keep it provocative. You always have to come up with something new. Yeah. And as we spoke about at length last episode, Jim Jones wasn't what you would call easygoing. (laughs) Like pretty much in any way. But mostly, he felt personally attacked if a person decided that they no longer wanted to be around him. Remember that friend we spoke about last episode? Oh, yes. Yeah, the yeah. one that tried to go home earlier, so Jim Jones yeah. shot him with a twenty-two. He shot at his head. Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He head. shot the tree next yeah. to him. But don't go, yeah, the moral of the story was don't try to go home early when Jim Jones isn't done playing. Yeah, well, that was just like a regular hang, like just mm. like a Tuesday or whatever. Not his precious budding cult. Is it a cult yet? Are we calling it a cult yet? It's a fucking cult. All right, we're calling calling it a cult. cult. Well, imagine how Jimba Jones would feel when a group of eight of his cult followers, who he once considered his pride and joy, decided to defect from the People's Temple. He wasn't happy, but I'm sure you could have guessed that. Did he shoot a gun near their heads? Mm. Angry? Or worse? I'm gonna go worse. Oh, Okay. This group would eventually be called the Gang of Eight, which gives me very big Marvel movie vibes. Marble. (laughs) Marble, Marble. The Avengers of (laughs) Jonestown. The group was made up of college students going to college on the People's Temple's dime. I found profiles of two of the eight, so let's chat about their specific experiences. All right. Well, one member, his name was Jim Cobb, because everyone's fucking name was Jim, <laughs> met Jim Jones at one of his faith healing events. Jim Jones brought him on stage, and he cured an ear ailment that was plaguing young Jim Cobb by probably pulling a chicken liver out of his ear. Uh, did he cure it, or... Uh, I'm, actually, I don't even care. He, I know he didn't, so... <laughs> he definitely didn't. He didn't. Plus, they had the same name, and both of them mm-hmm. were like, oh, wait, is your sure for James? Mine is two. Was your dad called Big Jim? Mine was two. Did your dad ever find joy in harming people emotionally, but then at the same time you got an award for selling the most spider monkeys in an 18-month period? <laughs> oh, just me? Okay, well, whatever. Yeah, get off the stage, kid. You're fucking healed. Jim Cobb was along for the ride for a very long time, but he was bothered by Jim Jones preaching equality, yet not showing equality. Yeah. Yeah. He and the group of eight noticed that the inner circle was comprised of virtually all white people and that the whites tended to advance in the group faster than the people of color did. Mm, yeah. The inner circle was made up of only white people, aside from one black man who, let's be honest, was probably token. Yeah, it was a, it was Archie Yamas, his uh-huh. assistant pastor from the way 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 beginning, his basically like his right hand man through everything. But yes, he was African American, but 
he was basically Jim Jones Jr. at this point. So. Yeah. Well, the title was technically taken by one of their adopted children. Oh, okay. Children. Jim Jones Jr. Jr. Yeah, Jim Jones Jr. Jr. <laughs> but people called him Archie. Yeah, yeah, for short. And I'm 98% that what they're talking about is this planning commission that you mentioned earlier. Uh-huh, yeah. They had big, big gripes with the planning commission, and especially the fact that Jim Jones seemed to bring his new bang buddies into the PC at will. Oh, yeah. If you were a hot chick in the People's Temple, you were automatically just brought into the planning commission because you were in that pool of women, or men, I guess, of people that Jim just plucked out to have sex with. Right. There were, a hundred, I think, 102 people on the planning commission, or 120 or something at its height. Yeah, it fluctuated throughout the years, but yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so that's a pretty big pool to bang out of. <laughs> yeah, bang pool. The group of eight, the gang of eight, the gang of eight wrote in a statement, quote, all the planning commission does is call each other homosexuals, <laughs> asking if each other sucks cocks and plant dope on people. What is their contribution to socialism? Okay, I have to believe that that's true. It's an actual quote. I did not make that up. I believe that the, what what are they? The Gang of Eight? Uh-huh. That they 100% just called everyone out on their bullshit. Yeah, So dude. them saying this is 100% true. There's no way it's not true. <laughs> and also, we already know Jim Jones is like, well, I'm fucking straight, but you're gay. Everyone else is gay. Yeah, so... This seems like definitely a thing that was happening. They just called everyone homosexuals and planted dope on everyone. Yeah, so they had a big problem (laughs) with what their actual contribution to socialism (laughs) was because it didn't make sense to them. (laughs) They were confused. Yeah, I get that. We'll talk more about Jim Cobb next episode and how much he absolutely hated Jim Jones. But now I want to switch gears over to Claire Washington. Claire Washington had met Jim Jones after the People's Temple moved to San Francisco in the early 1970s. Jim Jones had visited her regular church, and she was instantly taken by him. As most people are. His confidence, his ability to preach the Bible, his coat full of monkeys, his raw animal magnetism, it just took her by storm. sweet, sweet sunglasses. He wasn't wearing sunglasses yet, was he? Oh, yeah, he was. Full drugs. He was, it was full-on drug fueled he looked so cool because so you know what cool the sun never sets for a badass wow well she's quoted as saying he was awesome <laughs> well i guess that works too we all thought he could make the world a better place for everybody he was out there not afraid to express his views and i admired that he was a teacher he taught history this was no idiot and neither were we Did he teach history? No. (laughs) She thought that Jim Jones was highly intelligent and she fell under his spell immediately and joined the temple. She, like the others, gave up all of her worldly possessions to be with Jones and like-minded people that became her family. And then things changed as they always did. Mm. And Claire stated, Jim appeared to be guided in his primary decision making by a small elite group. He seemed to lose sight of his earlier goals and instead set out to acquire as much wealth as possible. So it seems like she's almost blaming the planning committee and not Jim. Maybe she's, dude, she's like obsessed with Jim. Or the, actually the whole gang of eight. They're 
blaming the planning committee, which is I think that they're another m- manipulation tactic by Jim. Or? Maybe I think they have an issue with the planning committee, mm. and Jim is their leader, so it kind of yeah. like trickles down. Trickles down, yeah. But this was before Claire knew that things were getting really weird, and she decided that she should probably split from the group around this time. By this time, though, Claire had a family, and her children and husband were deep into the cult. She was scared, and she tried to convince her husband to leave with her, but he wouldn't. Claire, like the others, believed in the hit squad, the henchmen that Jim would send after defectors. She knew a few people had left before because Jim Jones would give long speeches about what the traitors did, and he would tell other members that he had sent men after them. He said bad things would happen to all of the people that defected. This was when Claire met up with Jim Cobb and the six others. Students, young people, just people that knew that all this was going to hell in a handbasket. Right. They were educated. They, the people simple was pay, were paying for them to go to college. So they were removed from the group. Mm-hmm. They were being taught this isn't how things should be run. This isn't normal. And they knew this. So they tried to do something about it. Right. They had access to the outside world Mm -hmm. that these other people didn't. Yeah. So they could see that this was total bullshit and that Jim Jones and his little crew were just absolutely a cult. Yeah. Like not a cult, but a A cult. A cult, yeah. Yeah, not like the cool one. (laughs) Out of this gang of eight, they came up with a plan. They all trusted each other. And some were sent to gather money, others were sent to figure out transport, and most of them contacted relatives outside of the church for support. One night in 1973, they took off on what would become a two-month road trip. They had taken three trucks, loaded with firearms in case they were attacked by Jones's hitmen. They stayed off the highways, taking back roads for most of their truck. They drove and they drove First north to Washington state, then they originally planned to go to Canada, but they were afraid that they would be stopped and that their guns would be found and that they would be detained and Jim Jones would find out about it. Mm. Jim Jones found out about the defection and he jumped to tell his members that he would accept the kids back with open arms. At the same time, he employed multiple search parties full of henchmen. Yeah, I was going to say that's a straight up lie. You're going to kill him for sure. These search parties drove up and down the highways looking for the Gang of Eight. They even rented an airplane uh uh-huh, to scan the roads from above. Who knows how to fly an airplane? Somebody. There's 3,000 members. Someone's got to. Just odds at that point. (laughs) (laughs) You figure it out. The gang was so fearful that Jones was tracking them that they kept driving into the hills of Montana, never stopping for more time than it took to fill up tanks of gas. They were driving in shifts. They probably learned that from the cool bus move. Mm, one was sleeping in a mattress underneath the car. Yeah, under the car, not in the bed <laughs> of the truck. On the roof, it's strapped. Yeah, and they did this to never, ever stop and lessen their chances of being caught. It was in Montana that they began to write a long letter detailing their complaints about the People's Temple. Finally, the Gang of Eight ended up in Idaho, where they went their separate ways, finally free of Jim Jones. Claire said that the more distance they put between themselves and Jim Jones and the People's Temple, the more free they felt. She said, quote, We didn't realize how long we had been restricted. Yeah. 
Jim Jones obviously was freaking furious. He called 30 members of the planning commission into his home and he ranted and yelled at them for hours on end, even waving a pistol around in the air. Because you got to, right? Was it the same pistol that um, he shot his house with in an assassination attempt against himself? Well, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. And then Jim did the most textbook Jim Jones thing in the entire world. And he said, in order to keep our apostolic socialism, we should all kill ourselves and leave a note saying that because of harassment, a socialist group cannot exist at this time. Ah, that escalated really quickly. (laughs) And these 30 people are like, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) Yeah. No shit. Yeah, they talked him down and things eventually got better. Well, you know, until they didn't. Mm, But for the night, no one died. Right. He would constantly bring up the Gang of Eight, which he so named, calling them Trotskyite defectors and Coca-Cola revolutionaries. Coca-Cola revolutionaries? Yeah, dude, he was a Pepsi guy through and through. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. It's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I don't know. He just loved Pepsi. Yeah. I mean, what do you think this is? A Coke cult? Yeah, right. All about, I mean... He does do flavor aid instead of Kool Aid. So that's he's right. About the the second. That's right. He's not going to give in to the big corporations. He's going to give in to the second biggest corporations. Yeah, so socialist of him. <laughs> the gang of eight had gotten out of his control. The thing that Jim Jones most feared and hated, and he wasn't going to let that happen again. He had members of the PC sign blank confessions to be filled in later with whatever Jim Jones wanted. Mm. The members knew that this wouldn't be able to hold up in court, but they were afraid of the confessions. No matter how false they were, they were afraid of them getting out to the other members of the cult and ruining their lives and social standing. So... He just had them sign a piece of paper, and then uh-huh. he was like, later, I'm just going to fill in what you're exactly signing, saying that you did. Yeah. Who would ever agree to that? People in a cult. Uh, in an inner circle of a cult. They didn't actually sign on that, did they? Yeah, dude. They all did. The the Gang of Eight? Oh, no, 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 no. This is the, the People's Commission, the Planning Commission. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, after the Gang of Eight thing happens. Mm, okay. Jim Jones Just is like, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Like, if you track mud through the house, I'm going to write that on this thing, and you sign that you did it. And now who looks like the asshole? It's and, you. And that you also shot my house and wanted to assassinate me. Wow. 911, <laughs> look at this letter. I was right all along. (laughs) He even went as far as making one woman hold a gun with her finger on the trigger. And then he had her place that gun in a plastic bag to use later as evidence of a crime. Wow. So he's framing -framing. loyal members of his congregation. Future framing. Okay. Yeah. Just in case. And that is where we will end part two of the Jonestown series. We will pick up next week with Jim's beef with the cops, more defections, and finally the moment he says, let's just move to South America. Bring the Quaaludes. Going to Guyana. Going to Guyana. With an aching in my heart. That was nice. Kickball change. Kickball change. Kickball change. Pivot. Turn. Guyana. Wow. 
You guys didn't see it, but Nicole just lit a sparkler. Really nice. Do you hear it? Wow. Just, can you hear the sound of my jazz fingers? Jazzy. And if you want to do any more research of your own, all of our sources will be provided for you in the description of this podcast. Yes. And since this is a multi-parter, we are oh. not doing listener mail. We're going to no. save it for the end. We have a very good one. Oh, we do. So good. One of Just our listeners was in a cult. <laughs> so we will read their story at the end. Yeah. And then also we are going to once again skip the after show because we don't want to give anything away right we're going to talk about it all when we wrap the whole series yes so if you want to listen to the world's longest after show (laughs) join our patreon our patreon Patreon patreon.com just search quite unusual and we should come up right there yes and also if you guys have time if you have a moment in your day to leave us a review possibly rate mm. us yes. possibly subscribe if you feel mm. a little nasty yes you know, yes do whatever you want but only if you're feeling nasty oh, especially if you're feeling nasty <laughs> please do so it helps us it's just honestly really nice to see reviews and i will send you a little treat mm. if you do leave us she a review will. and if you want any more quite unusual content remember to follow us on facebook instagram twitter we're yeah. all at quite unusual pods so hit us up on that and chat to us yeah hang out with us on patreon it's super fun we do tons of chats we have a movie club coming up next mm-hmm. weekend so super fun that's open so to fun. all tiers all tiers this for the time. first month yeah. we're watching my bloody valentine yeah. the og so hit us up on patreon.com join and be part of our coven baby yeah join the coven and also, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. And this is the part of the show where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and benevolent beings. To Tim M., who opened the door to what they thought was a Girl Scout, but... What was actually a black-eyed child? (gasps) Heavens no. Luckily, they were busy Instagramming, and the black-eyed kid was unable to use their mind control effectively. So, they survived. IG, it saves lives. Spencer W., a ghost hunter who only uses their EVP to have rousing conversations about today's current events with all the spirits that they encounter. Mm, Spirits know best. To Mike B., who adopted several of the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins as their own children, and is now training an army of them to do their evil bidding. Lauren R., a bone collector, who is always on the quest for the rarest and most shocking specimens. Rumor has it they're making a throne out of bones for the new office chair. Game of bones? <laughs> <laughs> Kaleo. A changeling capable of looking like any being alive or dead. But honestly, it just seems like too much of an effort these days. I mean, it's sweatpants season, isn't Mm, it, baby? It is. And finally, Samantha P., a cosmic bowling champion whose secret weapon is to use a bowling ball full of tiny gremlins that control the movement of the ball. They have never lost a game, thanks to the little gremlins. Just don't feed them after midnight. (gasps) 
thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. 